All right. I love when we dismiss the kids like half of the congregation is gone. That's just wonderful, isn't it? Such a blessing to see all these little ones going back and learning about Jesus. Such a, such a blessing. So I wanted to thank you again for the three weeks that I was gone and, and just everyone who stepped up to pray and to pray for Amanda and I while we were gone. We feel really refreshed. I was it's funny because even at the end of that, even the last couple of days, I was like, I'm so ready to just be home. So back to my routine, I was getting a little cranky and I was like, what's wrong with you? And I was like, I'm just, I think I just want to be home back into a routine and back to just being with you guys and loving on you and, and sharing Jesus with those around us. So thank you for that. Thanks to, to Kevin and Bob and Ryan for, for preaching and taking that time uh, to do that. So, so blessed and thankful to, to those guys for being here. Um, I wanted to uh, mention first um, some of the things that you've been hearing in the news about the Roe versus uh, Wade thing, and I know that's weighing heavy on a lot of people's hearts, and it's something that's being talked about. You see it on social media all the time, and so I just wanted to address that briefly. We can't cover that all in just one minute talk. Uh, maybe that's something we can, we can, I can preach about and we can talk more about at a different time, but I wanted to remind people that, to remind you as your pastor is that Jesus, he said to, to follow me, right? He said, come and, and to follow me. That, that Jesus says, I am the way, I am the truth, and, and I am the life. And I think a lot of times in our country, the, the world tries to divide us. It tries to be really tribal, like tribalism, and to put up walls and fences and barriers around all of these different things to, to divide us into either this camp or into this camp. And when Jesus all along, he says, no, no, come, come follow me. Come and follow me, that I am the truth, and I am the life, and I am the way. And so I just wanted to encourage you in that, that, that we are to, to follow Jesus, not the world, and, and not to, to be divided, and not to say, we're in this camp, and this camp is my enemy. Because Jesus says to pray for our enemies, to love our neighbors, and to pray for our enemies, and you see, Jesus' the way that he loved others was, was action. It wasn't just words, it was action. And here at True Life Community Church, you know, I feel really led to, to be a church that's helping the mothers who it's really hard to raise children. Now, churches can do that through a lot of different ways, adoption and, and other things like that. And, and, you know, with adopting Natty, like we're firm believers in adoption. If that's something that's on your heart, I would love to talk to you about that more. Um, but one thing that, that I felt over the last probably couple of years really felt called to, to be specifically helping meet needs in that area of sanctity of life at True Life Community Church was helping single moms. Because I know that is such a hard, it's the hardest job you could ever have. And so what we're, what we've been doing, and we've been doing a pilot program on this, is to uh, provide a free laundry service for single moms. It's just one way of, of, us, uh, of us helping uh, those that are struggling, that those are having a hard time. And I just felt like that was God saying, okay, this is a unique way for True Life Community Church to help those um, with, that are raising, in some cases, multiple children completely on their own. And so just know that part of what you give to True Life Community Church goes to that mission uh, to help. And so we want our love to be not just words, 
um, but we want it to be we want it to be action as well. So just wanted to speak into that just a little bit. So as I stop and reflect on the three weeks that I was off and the things that I was reading and things that I was praying about and studying in the Bible, um, there were two things that really came to my mind, really simplistic things. And it's always amazing to me when I'm on vacation and I'm somewhere, God reminds me, one, that I'm just human, that I am just human. I'm on the same boat. I got the same problems as everyone else. I have a, I have a sin issue and that, hey, you're, you're just human. And then he also reminds me that he is God, that God is God, that he is holy, he is all-powerful, he's all-knowing, right? So I'm just human, and God is God. And those are good reminders for all of us as we go about our day. And so this series, we're continuing it. It's called The Summer of Psalms. And uh, the psalm that I uh, meditated on and prayed through and read uh, while I was gone was Psalm 22. And if you don't have that with you, um, it'll be up here on the screen, Psalm 22. And the title of that psalm is, Why Have You Forsaken Me? So we were, uh, we went down to South Florida and spent some time down there and did lots of different activities and had a lot of fun on vacation. Well, one of the things that we decided to do was to go on a snorkeling trip. Anyone been snorkeling? Oh, Pam's from Florida. You've been snorkeling. Bob's been snorkeling. Ayla's been snorkeling. So I'm from the Midwest. Like, I'm a Southern Missouri country boy. Like, snorkeling, the ocean. Like, this is kind of new to me. I'm not really familiar with that. But I've been snorkeling before and didn't really have a good experience when Amanda and I were on our honeymoon snorkeling in the Bahamas. And so we go out. We get on the boat. There's about 30, 40 people of us on the boat. And we're going through the harbor of uh, Fort Lauderdale. Have you ever been to Fort Lauderdale? There, there's a lot of money in Fort Lauderdale. So we're getting a little tour, like this is so-and-so that lives in this house, and this celebrity that lives in this house, and this is this big yacht, three-decker yacht. You can you know, park a helicopter on top of these things, apparently. And so I was pretty amazed at just looking at this lifestyle, and everything was calm, collected. Everyone's having a great time. We're all laughing. And we turned the corner, and I begin to see the open sea. Now, when I see the open sea, I see these huge waves, I see this thunderstorm, and I see this, like, shoot thing coming down out of the cloud. I thought it was a tornado, but apparently those are water spouts, so they're not that dangerous. But the mood begins to change on the boat, because now the boat is going like this, and the waves are slashing into our face, and people are beginning to panic. You can see the smiles go to frowns, and we get out to where we're anchored and you can see people now begin to get a little sick, begin to start sweating, they're getting seasick, they're beginning to throw up and so we get out into the water. I find myself drifting way off course. Good thing I had flippers on and good thing they had a buoy out because I went and grabbed a hold of that and now I'm nervous with Kelsey and Natty being out there and I can't find them because the waves are so big, so I grabbed the rope, and I pulled myself back in, and I'm thinking, this is not fun at all. Like, this is terrible. My goggles are fogged up. There's water in my mask, and so I jumped back on the boat. They got, like, this lower platform, and people at that point are, like, coming with me, and they're trying to get back on the boat. I'm trying to pull them on the boat, and we get back on the boat. One of the guys, he's like, this is not fun for anyone, and so we get on the boat, and literally everyone is, like, puking, 
laying over, leaning over the side. They're sprawled out on the cushions. It was terrible. It was like a horror show, what was going on. And it reminded me that we are all immensely human. And I wasn't judging them, right? Like, I, we're all in the same condition. We're, we're all in the, puns intended, we're all in the same boat. And we all have the same condition. And we're all beginning to get really, really sick. And I was so thankful I didn't grow up. And Amanda, she's a little bit sick, and the kids are a little bit sick, but thankfully none of us got sick. And it's easy to forget that we are just all humans. And especially in the way that we, we treat each other. And I was reminded that, that I am not the Christ. That we are not the Christ. And we we see that in Psalm 22. And Psalm 22 was written by David, at this time King David, right? So there were judges in the Old Testament, and then the Israelites had this idea that we want kings now. And God's like, I don't think that's going to work very well, but I'll give you kings if you want. And so King David was the second king, and King David wrote this psalm. And some would say that, David was a prophet, or at least he was prophesying here, and what that means is that God, if he gives you some information and you share it with others, you're prophesying, you're giving that information to others, and we see prophets throughout the Old Testament of giving God's word and sharing it with others. Sometimes it's about now, and sometimes it's about the future, And we see that here with King David as he writes this psalm out, that it's also a prophecy of a king who is to come, and that is Jesus. And it prophesizes about Jesus' death and his suffering on the cross. So some would say that David was a prophet as well. And when we look at the Psalms, and Psalm 22 specifically, and there's others, some would say that this is a lament, that David is lamenting, and a lamenting or a lament is someone who is innocent, and they are suffering, and they're writing about that suffering in the Old Testament. And I taught about this about a year ago, and we looked through a Psalm about lamenting, but this psalm also, it, 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 it see, we can see throughout all of the Gospels how they use this and how Jesus quoted these verses in Psalm 22 when he was on the cross. And we see in the Gospel how this account is our way, the only way that we know of how Jesus suffered on the cross. All the Gospels use these verses in Psalm 22 to talk about Jesus on the cross. Later on, if you want to mark this down, Matthew chapter 27, you can read, read that and read Psalm 22, and you can see those correlations. Now, lamenting in the Psalms kind of goes like this. The psalmist will have a, an address and a complaint, right? Remember, it's an innocent person who is suffering, and they have a complaint to God. And then they have a request to God, 
Then they have a statement of trust in God, and then they have a vow of praise. Now, when I was on this snorkeling trip, my address and complaint was like, God, please don't let me get sick and throw up. Like, I don't want to be like one of those other people. Like, please just help me not get sick because I hate throwing up. And say, this is just terrible. I can't believe we're in this situation. And my statement of trust is like, Lord, I, I trust your ability, right? I trust your ability to not have me get sick. If I do, it's your will, that's okay, but I trust that you won't let me get sick. And then the last part of that is, no matter what happens, when I get back on solid ground, I'm going to kiss it, I'm never going snorkeling again in my life, but I'm going to praise you, I'm going to praise you no matter what happens, right? And so that is a lament as we look at Psalms, an address or a complaint to God, a request, right, a prayer or a request, statement of trust. And about our praise. That's how we should live our lives with God. And a lot of these psalms were sung in the Old Testament. It teaches us, right, as we praise and as we worship, how to address God. And ultimately, in the end, we're going to praise God no matter what. So going back to the two points, number one, we are only human. We are only human. So what I want you to do is look to your neighbor. It's going to be a little awkward, but it's okay. Look to your neighbor and say, you're not God. <laughs> Isn't that so good? Isn't that so, like, this lets off the pressure. It's like, we're not God. Like, God is God. We're just human. I remember um, my oldest son, he's in Kansas City, just right next to Lenexa. I mentioned Lenexa. Uh, he's right next to, uh, to Lenexa and in a church, and he's a pastor there, and really proud of him um, in Shawnee. And I remember uh, about, what was it, six or seven years ago, I remember him preaching um, we started this Saturday night service called The Bridge, and it was a way for people that didn't like church to come to church, and anyway, he wanted to preach and share his testimony, and, and uh, I remember when he gets up, he reaches down, and I was thinking about doing this, but I'm not going to, but he reaches down, and he takes off his shoes, and he takes off his socks, and he's walking around the whole time, and I'm thinking, he was in speech debate, and he really loved, like, talking in front of people. And I said, later I said, why did you do that? Like, that doesn't make any sense to me. I was, like, thinking maybe it was just to grab people's attention or whatever. And he's like, I don't know. I just did. That's just what God, I felt like God was telling me to do. But it was kind of came back to me today, and I said, you know, it was, I think it was a good reminder that we're all just humans, right? We all have feet as gnarly as they may be. And I was in South Florida, saw a lot of sandals, a lot of gnarly feet out there. But all of our feet stink, right? Like, my feet stink. I'm sure your feet stink as well. But it's just a reminder, like, that we, that we are all humans. And we see here in Psalm 22, we see David's humility. But as this points to the coming Messiah, the ultimate king, and it is as a shadow and a prophecy of the coming king. It, it reminds us of the humility, uh, the humanity of David and the humanity of Jesus. 
verse 1 through 2, it says, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me from the words of my groaning? Oh, my God, I cry by day, but you do not answer, and by night, but I find no rest. And I wonder if that's you today, that you're feeling all of your humanity and you feel like God is far from you. Or maybe you said that when you're filling up your gas tank or went to the grocery store. I don't know. But we are all human, and it's on full display of Jesus' humanity being fully God and, and fully human. Verse 7 through 9 just goes on to demonstrate that humanity. In verse 7, the psalmist writes, All who see me mock me. Imagine Jesus being nailed to that cursed tree as we just, as we just sang. All who see me mock me. They, they make mouths at me. They wag their heads. He trusts in the Lord. Let him deliver him. Let him rescue him, for he delights in him. Yet, you are he who took me from the womb. You made me trust you at my mother's breast. I think other things that I discover on vacation is that I, I think God made me a pastor so I come to church every Sunday. I heard somebody else say that. I think God had me be a Bible study teacher in my old church so I would go to church on every Sunday and I would be in the Word and studying the Word. I believe God made me a life group leader at our old church so that I would learn how to love others and to lead others and to knowing more about Jesus, verse 9, it says, you made me, you made me, right? There's another song that says, you make me lie down in green pastures. You make me rest beside still waters. You made me. You can probably hear your kids screaming in the background. They made me. They made me do it. But God makes us. And this goes to show me that there is no shortcut to our growth as a Christian. That God made me as I continue to be in his word and continue to show up every Sunday to hear more. And it's not about a checklist that God is proud of me that I was there every Sunday. But it's that continual staying connected to God that God made me into who I am today to be more like Christ every day. There's no shortcuts to our growth as Christians. It, pay, it takes patience and patience and consistency that God will make you. Those that we get angry that don't believe like we do or think differently than, than we do, like remember that God, it takes time, that God makes them over time. That's why he talks about, Paul talks about running the race, the marathon, or why Jesus talks about agriculture, right? That things take time. And he will make you as we stay consistent. I was thinking about Jesus. He didn't start his ministry until he was 30 years old. I said, well, what was he doing for all of that time? Well, we really don't know. There was one account when he was a teenager that his parents left him at the temple and they didn't know where he was. And they came back and they found him and he was teaching. And the people at the temple were amazed at Jesus' teaching. Now, if you feel bad as a parent... Just know that Jesus' parents 
I mean, left him, right, at a temple. Didn't know where he was for a long time, so you could feel a little bit better about yourselves as parents. But all other than that, we didn't really know much about Jesus in that time, but we know that he was a carpenter, and his father was a carpenter, so we assume he was doing carpentry work. And imagine all of the stuff that he could have done in those, I don't know, let's say 15 years. But he was patient. And he was going about his business of being a carpenter. And look at all that he did in three, three and a half years of his ministry. Verse 14 through 18. Now, to me, this is uh, especially hard. I'm glad I've read over this and thought over this multiple times as I was getting a little teary. Thinking about our Lord Jesus on the cross and the agony and the suffering that he went through. And again, this is a, a, about the most that we know about what Jesus went through on the cross. Verse 14. I am poured out like water, and all of my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. It is melted within my breast. My strength is dried up like a potsherd. And what that means is like a shard of pottery. Imagine how dry a piece of pottery is that you would dig up out of the sand. My strength is dried up. And my tongue sticks to my jaws. You lay me in the dust of death. For dogs encompass me, a company of evil doers encircle me. They have pierced my hands and feet. I can count all my bones. They stare and they gloat over me. And they divide my garments amongst them. And for my clothing, they cast lots. Have you ever been so thirsty that your tongue sticks to your mouth? I remember as a teenager, I hauled a lot of hay. I grew up in southern Missouri, so we had a lot of cattle, beef cattle farms, and so, you know, hire teenagers to haul hay. I uh, wouldn't advise that on days like yesterday. Um, it's hot out there. It's a lot of hard work. Um, but I remember one day I was hauling hay, and I ran out of water. And I didn't have any transportation other than the truck that was hooked to the trailer. I didn't have anywhere to get any water. I couldn't find any water. My mouth was so dry, I could barely talk. And I was like, I, what, all I got to do is I got to find, that's all I could focus on, I got to find water. And there was a lake up, up, up the stream, and there was just water coming out of this lake in this little stream. And I just drank from it. I'm like, I don't have any other, there's bugs in there and everything. But I was so thirsty. It's, I mean, it's all I could think about during that time. But even with that, my mouth wasn't so dry that my tongue would stick to my mouth like Jesus on the cross. And to humiliate him even more, he cries out. He says, I'm thirsty. I'm thirsty. And what do they do? They take this little sponge on a stick and they dab it in some nasty, old, sour, bad wine and give it to him. How humiliating. Someone's so thirsty that their tongue would stick to their mouth. and That's how they treat our Lord and Savior. So humiliating. So thankful for our 
our God and our Jesus. Number two, that God is profoundly holy. The psalmist, David, and, and the Christ, even with all of their afflictions, even with their requests, that Jesus cries out before this, God, if there's any other way, don't let me go to the cross. Don't forsake me. But even through all of that and all of their afflictions, they didn't lose any confidence in God's power, his holiness, or his authority. In verse 27 through 28, we see this last part of the lament, where it's the vow to praise God. Verse 27, all of the ends of the earth shall remember and turn to the Lord, and all the families of the nation shall worship before you. For kingship belongs to the Lord, and the rulers over the nations, all the prosperous of the earth, eat and worship. Before him shall bow all who go down to the dust, even the ones who could not keep himself alive. Posterity shall serve him, it shall be told of the Lord to the coming generation. They shall come and proclaim his righteousness to a people yet unborn, that he has done it. That he has done it. All shall turn and worship the Lord. The posterity here is talking about the future. He's talking about the future that, that, that we as Christians will declare the righteousness of God to all of the new generations. His righteousness now shall be proclaimed to today and that God uses us as Christians to do great things. And you may say, well, how as a Christian do I do great things for God? It's not just about knowledge. As I say, like in the word and it's not just about knowledge. It's about using what you know to love those that, is, that are closest to you, that those that are around you. Like knowledge just puffs us up, but if we have Christ and we have the knowledge and we use that to love those around us. This book by author of S. Wine, he said it this way as I was reading it said, it is easy to do great things for God so long as greatness does not require interior humility, practical love for people right in front of us, or submission to the presence of Jesus in the place we already are. That we already are. And we, being fully human, sometimes we're too quick to move on from where we are. Remember as I talk about that spiritual fruit takes a long time in us and in others. So following Jesus is the knowledge is demonstrated in the love of God and others around you. It takes patience, it takes humility, it takes love, and it takes staying. It takes staying. <clears throat> so I wanted to ask this question. Do you know today how much your house is worth? I think a lot of us probably do. At least a ballpark estimate of how much we think our house is worth. A lot of people would say your house is worth what somebody's willing to pay, right? 
So somebody's willing to pay, would you go and ask a homeless person, how much are you willing to pay for my house? I want to sell it to you. You'd probably say no. I want to ask someone who's qualified to sell, to, to purchase my house. The one that's qualified the most. I want to get the most out of my house that I can get. And this is a little bit cliche, but God sent Jesus because he was qualified, that he spent the most, that he paid the highest price for you and for me, that your worth is so high that God was willing to send his son Jesus to go through all of this torment that we read in Psalm 22 for you, to pay the price for you because Jesus is qualified. He's the only one that's qualified to pay that price. And Psalm 22 demonstrates your worth. How much you're worth. So I'm going to encourage you to read back through Psalm 22 and be reminded of your worth to God. The thing that got me the most emotional about Psalm 22, for some reason, just the dry mouth, like how dry Jesus' mouth was with his tongue stuck to it. I just couldn't get past that part. I don't know. I don't know why. Just meditate on that. The second thing that really stuck out to me was how lonely Jesus must have been. How lonely he was on that cross. I mean, think about your most lonely time you ever had and probably magnify that by like a trillion of how lonely Jesus was. We sang about Joseph's tomb, that he was laid in Joseph's tomb. Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus were the only two people that were there to bury Jesus and some, some other women. Do you ever wonder, like, how many people were Jesus's Jesus's funeral? A very small amount, a handful of people. A rich guy that had a tomb and Nicodemus, who was a really religious guy that that came and talked to Jesus, that was at Jesus' funeral. Just a handful of people. God in the flesh was all alone on the cross and at his burial. In verse 1, we're going to wrap this up, but in verse 1, I want to read that again. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And the significance of that is, hey, listen, that Jesus had perfect communion as the Son, the Trinity, with his Father. And on the cross, the Father, this is communion and perfect relationship that had been going on for eternity, and the Father turned his back. The, the, the communion and the relationship was broken because of the sin that Jesus took on himself for you and for me. He was completely alone. People left him. People were mocking him. His father had turned his back on, on him. And Jesus suffered and he died. The most precious thing that Jesus had, other than you and me, was his relationship with his father. And he allowed that separation. But his suffering and his loneliness wasn't wasted. It was used for the glory of God and it was used for your righteousness, your righteous sake. You and you alone can never atone for your sins. 
God had to do that. And in verse 31, at the end of that, he says, And they shall come and proclaim his righteousness to a, to a people yet unborn, that he has done it. Not you. That he, God, our Father, has done it. And he has atoned for our sins. And Jesus cries out, it says here in the end, it says, he has done it. And in John 19, 30, when Jesus is on the cross and he's hanging there, and at the end he said, it is finished. There is nothing left to do. God has done it. It is finished. All you got to do is put your faith and trust in what Jesus has done for us on the cross. And sometimes we forget that we are human and we have to do something. It says, he has done it. God has done it. Jesus said, it is finished. There is nothing left to do but to be reborn. Nicodemus, who was there and helped Jesus with his burials, come to Jesus and says, what must I do? And he says, you must be reborn. He goes, you're going to tell me i got to crawl back in my mother's womb and, and be reborn. And Jesus says, no, you got to be reborn spiritually. And Jesus says, I don't understand what this means. He says, well, do you know where the wind goes and where it's coming from and he says no and he says same thing with the spirit so we should be thankful today that we have our faith in Jesus that we have put our faith in Jesus we know it's not about us that that it is finished we should be thankful for that we should praise God about our faithfulness for the faith that we have because we don't know exactly how we got that we don't know where the wind comes from it's a free gift of God and here at the end, it says, you shall come and proclaim his righteousness, not our righteousness. You shall proclaim that to a people yet unborn that are dead spiritually. That only through the cross, only through faith in Jesus can they be reborn spiritually. So what's the opposite of being forsaken? I think the word would be blessed, that we are blessed because God shines his face. He turns his face towards us, that his glory and his light shines on us because of Jesus, that God doesn't turn from us because of Jesus. So I want to remind you today that you are blessed, that we are blessed because of what Jesus did for us. If you've never been reborn spiritually, it just takes faith in Jesus to die to self and say, I'm going to stop trying to please God because it is already finished. It's already done. I want to follow Jesus. I was asked that you would pray. Cry out to God, I'm a sinner. Forgive me of my sins. Help me to follow Jesus. Help me to give consistency in my life. Lord, do a work within me. I can't do it. If that's you today, welcome. Welcome as a son and a daughter of the Most High King. Let us pray. Dearly Father, thank you, for, uh, thank you for today. Thank you for a reminder that we are just human and you are God. Thank you that it is done. You did it. You completed it. Jesus said it is finished and he meant it. It is finished. The work on the cross, our sins are forgiven. Our, you took upon you our sins, something that separates us from a holy God. So when we put our faith and trust in Jesus, that we go from you turning your back 
It's you shining your face on us that we are blessed. Lord, I pray today that we live that, that we talk to others about your righteousness. That we are reminded today of what Jesus, what your son endured for us on the cross. He gave up his most precious thing, perfect communion and fellowship with you, the Father. He gave up his life. He took on mockery and shame and humility and loneliness. For me, a sinner who didn't deserve it. I don't know, Lord, how I have the faith that we have, that I have and others have here. But, Lord, we thank you for the, for the blessings. We thank you for the free gift of salvation. We thank you for Jesus.